News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 14 of the Luke Macias Show. Guys, we have got a great conversation that we will get to here momentarily. Um, had an opportunity to sit down with a conservative uh, lawyer, Tony McDonald, who is leading the fight on the legal front um, in many free speech battles here in Texas, which is one of the battle lines that conservatives have found themselves fighting on over the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. And Tony gets to take us back to where some of these conflicts originally started and also give us an update on current legal battles going on in federal court and state court today, um, giving us an update on where those those are and why Texans should be uh, concerned and and actually, you know, interested in following the um, the outcomes of these court cases. And so we're going to get to that in just a second. I think you will enjoy it. I also think you as a conservative will uh, be much better informed on some of the legal battles going on throughout the court system in Texas uh, through that conversation. So before that, I want to get to a quick update. And I know last week we even took a break from some of these interviews to give you a uh, update on what's going on in the Texas legislature. And so I do need to take a few minutes to let each and every one of you know uh, what's going on. So good news. Um, it looks like property tax reform is on track and that both legislative bodies are coming more in line with each other when it comes to um, a reasonable cap to put on your property taxes. Now, recognize that there's no relief within the reform package, and uh, most of them have done a good job of not calling that part of the package relief. Uh, You know, Senate Bill 2 and House Bill 2 are simply reforms. Uh, They would set a rollback cap on your local governments, your cities and your counties, where if they were to try to increase their property tax collections more than three and a half percent year over year, they would have to take that to you, the voters, in a already set uniform election. Um, We know that if you give voters an opportunity to uh, voice their opinions on whether they can continue to be overtaxed, uh, they will make their voices heard at the ballot box and they will vote against those tax increases. And so um, Republicans in the legislature know that as well, which and, and honestly, the mayors of the cities know that as well, which is why the mayors are opposing it and Republicans are pushing it. Hopefully, we will see the next couple weeks uh, this reform uh, go through, come to fruition, and um, some agreement be made on the strong caps that need to be placed um, on that. Uh, We have some problems, though, and this is the bad news that comes when it comes to property tax relief. Um, The 2.5% cap on schools, which is um, imperative to uh, coming out of this legislative session with a property tax victory and the school finance reform. Now, all of these things get intertwined. And, you know, for the last several years, many people have said on the campaign trails that um, you can't do property tax relief without handling school finance reform. And um, unfortunately, we are seeing uh, that it seems like you can do school finance reform without providing significant, meaningful property tax relief. It, it was almost like um, the, the catch-22 was you can't do one without the other, but you can do the other without the one. And uh, that's what we're seeing coming to fruition. So the Senate rolled out its version of House Bill 3. And Larry Taylor, 
um, has been just a leading voice on uh, the need for reform within our school finance system. And if you sit down and take a t- take time to listen to his rollout of House Bill 3, you can tell that he's very concerned with some of the major problems that go on with our public schools, um, the lack of reading. Uh, some of you might not know that Texans rank 46th in the nation when it comes to our fourth grade reading levels. And Senator Taylor is is good at reminding everybody that, you know, from your start of school to third grade, you're learning to read. And then after third grade, you should be reading to learn. And so this is these are some huge problems we have. And recognize that when we when it comes to school finance reform, we're not just talking about money changes within the system. We're also talking about some um, changes within the incentives to really drive home the need to start performing and um, bringing our students into, you know, reading capabilities going into fourth grade, things like that. So there are some really important parts to this, but here are some of the the scary things that are happening. One, um, Greg Abbott, Dennis Bonin, and Dan Patrick have seemed to double down on their efforts to increase the state sales tax. And while property tax reform seems to be coming together, one of the biggest testimonies at this moment in time to the Republican legislature is just how much they have been able to spend and how they still feel that they need more revenue streams. Now, just a reminder, this Republican legislature came into this session with billions of dollars in a budget surplus, with a $15 billion savings account, and with a very strong, generous revenue estimate from our comptroller. Our comptroller estimates what he thinks they will have over the next two years, and then they budget accordingly. And the comptroller has given them a lot of money, and that's why Chairman Zerwas said in his podcast episode with Evan Smith, Evan, we have a lot of money, more money than I've ever seen during my time as an appropriator. I know some of this is just repetitive from past podcast episodes, but I just want to make sure to remind our our listeners that we have tons of money when it comes to the state government. But the problem is that they wanted to spend that money and they wanted to spend that money on pensions. They wanted to spend that money on more public school funding. They wanted to spend that money on higher education funding. They wanted to spend that money on incurring more debt for our local state universities. They wanted to spend that money on um, state salary increases. They're spending that money on legislator pension increases. They're spending that money on more money for state facilities. They're spending all sorts of increases across our budget that are being increased from their previous levels um, to new levels. And what that means is that property tax payers were not considered. Not only were they not considered, but we are only balancing our budget with an anticipated property tax increase of 6.2% in 2019 and 4.1% in 2020. So what does that mean when it comes to school finance reform? When House Bill 3 was rolled out, here's the scary part. Um, The parts of the bill that say that we are going to give more money to all of these schools um, seem to be kind of set in stone. And they're saying these are general law. These are are things that need to happen. But the the, remember, this is a two-year plan. The second year of what we call property tax compression, which is when the state takes money that it took from Texans and gives it to the schools, but it is to buy down your local property taxes. Okay, so it's still your money that they are using to buy down property taxes so that we don't take more of your money. The second year of tax compression is now going to be uh, only given to Texans if you vote the legislature a sales tax increase if you vote to give them more of your money. 
And then we also have a homestead exemption increase from 25 to 40,000. And if you understand the homestead exemption, you know that that is a good thing, meaning it will provide some property tax relief. It's not significant or substantial, but it is still something. But it's not simply an increase in the homestead exemption. It's not the state committing to doing that. It is the state. We actually have a mechanism in this part where the state wants to send you a tax bill as if the $40,000 homestead exemption exists. And then if you as the voters in November of 2019 refuse to give the state their money in an increase in a one cent sales tax, we're going to send you a second bill. You know, I don't know if the drafters of this part of the bill thought about it, but it almost comes across as state government trying to bully and intimidate voters into giving them more of their money. It's like, vote to give us more of your money or we're gonna take more of your money. I mean, that's really what, how this comes across. So you're gonna receive a property tax bill and then if you refuse to increase the sales tax by a penny, giving the state more money, then they will send you another property tax bill to pay. Um, I don't think that's the way we should be treating our voters going into 2020. And, and let's take a step back um, and let's talk about 2020 because a lot of the leaders came into this legislative session saying, hey, we can't do conservative things. This is why we're probably gonna have the least pro-life legislative session that, I don't know, we've ever, we've had in a decade. Um, we uh, have refused to address uh, things like immigration magnets that we have through uh, taxpayer-funded um, programs for illegal immigrants. We have spent more money than we ever have, and we haven't prioritized property tax relief. But one of the reasons that leaders keep giving is, well, we're worried about 2020, guys. We have to make sure that Republicans do well. Well, the truth is that conservatives who are opposing the sales tax increase, which you can go to last week's episode to understand more about the sales tax increase. But at the end of the day, to simplify it, they want to raise the sales tax by one penny, and then they want to spend 20% of that on more government. And then 80% of that they want to spend on buying down your property uh, taxes. So they need more money. And they also want to try to find a way to give property tax relief at the same time. Um, let's talk about this, the implications of this going into 2020. Our concern as Republicans and conservatives is the fact that uh, Democrats have done better than they have in, in a little while through this last election cycle. And they picked up seats in the state house. They picked up two seats in this two seats in the state Senate and we're going into redistricting. Now, do have Republican leaders really thought through the consequences of putting on the November of 2019 ballot a tax increase that voters are more than likely to turn down and reject because they're overtaxed. Texas voters are overtaxed. They're not over property taxed. They're overtaxed. They cannot afford any more taxes. We don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. And Republicans now are going to go into this November election and ask voters to increase their own taxes so that government can continue to sustain its spending spree. And the voters of Texas are more than likely going to reject it. And then a year later, we are hoping that they forget that we asked them to increase taxes and still send a bunch of Republicans back to the legislature so that we can redistrict strong districts to maintain a Republican majority. That is absolutely asinine in its thought process. And conservatives and Republicans must wake up to the fact that the hole they are trying to dig themselves out of is a hole of big spending. And if they take a step back and they click the reset button and they prioritize their funding into public schools 
and property tax relief, we can walk out of this legislative session with strong funding for public schools, with significant and meaningful property tax relief that will be recognized by voters when they go in to vote in November of 2020, and a strong message for conservative Republicans going in to the 2020 campaign cycle. But the current path we are on is one of destruction. And if leaders do not wake up soon, they will find themselves in June looking back on their performance, realizing that they have set themselves up for failure when it comes to the future of this state. With that, let's go to a, a quick word from one of our sponsors, and then we are going to get to this very uh, meaningful conversation with Tony McDonald that I think each and every one of you will enjoy. Thank you. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy, patriotacademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with a, an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Well, uh, this is again episode 14 of the Luke Messias Show, and I am really um, honored to be joined by Tony McDonald, who uh, is sometimes my attorney, sometimes other conservatives' attorney all over the state, and somebody who many conservatives respect for not only the service he gives uh, through legal services to the conservative movement, but also just um, all that he's fighting on the front line. So, Tony, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no, good to be on the show. Uh uh, you call, I'll uh, I'll research it and give you an answer or litigate it, sue, 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 whatever it is that needs to be done. I do those lawyerly things. And and you uh, also... And do radio too, right? Yeah, you, so, so you also have a, a radio show and a podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners just, uh, you know, the quick um, elevator version of, sure. of the, the Texas Scorecard Radio and, and where they can follow it and what kind of stuff y'all do there. Well, I'm the host of Texas Scorecard Radio. It's another weekly uh, program that goes out to radio stations around the state as well as a podcast. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, all of your basic podcasting platforms. Yep. And uh, we cover uh, Texas low state and local government, things that taxpayers need to know to be involved in the state. A lot of the same kinds of things mm -hmm. that you do. Uh, format typically we have uh, three reporters from the Texas Scorecard uh, local or capital bureaus on to talk about some news coverage that we've done. Uh, then we have a newsmaker interview somebody who's uh, who's doing something. Yep. Uh, typically outside the organization, not always. And we do different formats from time to time. Yep. And then we close with a commentary. Yep. Uh, so one of the staff members or somebody, maybe even a guest, uh, comes on and gives us a little perspective about. Uh, something that's uh, worth worth comment. You know, I, I uh, not to take away from 
the rest of the podcast because I do enjoy being a weekly listener to uh, the Texas Scorecard Radio. But uh, the commentary is, is I think, the best part of it, uh, which is, is one one of my so ways this to tell is, <laughs> this is the funniest thing. So that's the part I never do. Right? Well, I so, don't mean to. So what you're I, telling me. I don't mean to me, You know, look, like, I look you. at this 30-minute this program. It's a 30-minute program, right? Okay. And there's this far, the, uh, three to five minutes at, at the, the end, end. Where Tony that, stops where talking. Tony stops talking. Man, that, that, was, that was solid it's gold. It's the strongest part no it's just uh i think it's one of those things where it's one of my ways to tell listeners it's important to listen all the way to the end but um you know the people need news they need updates they need insights which is what the reporters and you and the interviews that you do bring and then i think that commentary usually just um does a good job driving home one of the particular issues which texans are, or texas lawmakers are struggling with and sure. you and i um, have talked about the same things that the battle and the most important battle is often what the battle's about. Right? Sure, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, if you define the conflict correctly, uh, that's that's how you win. Yep. Uh, the, the answer to the question should be <clears throat> really obvious. If you're going to win a fight, you've, you you want to have a clear answer uh, to yep. what the question is. So then you need everybody agreeing, well, what's the question? What's the question? And, yep. and the left understands that uh, really well. They do a great job with it. Uh, our people are starting to catch on. Yep, that that's how you that's how you fight. Before, that's how you fight I- ideas battles. So so uh, just to give our listeners uh, an understanding of what I would like to accomplish during this conversation, sure. I knew I do want to spend a lot Road of our map. time on um, you know the lawsuits that you're involved in, um, you know things that you see being crucial when it comes to the conservative legal battles that we're sure. fighting here in the yeah. state. But um, and so we'll get to that quickly. But I do want you to give an op just give you an opportunity to um, give us some context to why you're involved, what got you interested, some of your political activism, what made you decide to go to law school, how did you decide that you so, know, this was the area that so you So the to go to law in. school thing's pretty funny. Uh, I was I was studying to do like some technology stuff in high school and I had this uh, set aside class where I, I basically didn't do anything. Uh, I used it to do my college applications and some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I was sitting around kind of musing at that time and I thought, well, what am I good at? And, uh, you know, I'm not good at sports. I, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, not a talented artist. Uh, I'm, I can handle math, but I'm not that great with it. I'm not going to be some kind of doctor. Okay, what, what am I good at? And I was like, well, I'm pretty good at talking. I can tell you this. Well, maybe I can talk for a living, right? So mm. maybe I need to be a lawyer. I can talk for a living. Now, the funniest thing of that, ironically, and lawyers out there laughing, oh, what? This kid was a knucklehead, right? We don't, we, we, we absolutely do not talk for a living. That is not <laughs> yep. the profession at all. Yep. We write for a living, uh, really. We yep. write a lot of stuff. Uh, that's the real bulk of the work goes into writing, uh, researching too, but writing some talking, uh, yep. but, but a lot less of that. But I've enjoyed that side of it as well. Um, so I went to law school, really enjoyed the law, legal education, enjoyed my pre-law education and undergrad, so I kind of stayed the course, uh, went to law school, found I had a knack for trial advocacy, yep. uh, was on a national championship uh, mock trial team in law school, which was really fun, uh, and then I've come out and done litigation uh, and uh, general counsel work and that kind of stuff. Uh, conservative side, why be involved? Um, man, you know, that's a really interesting question. I was really interested in news and current events, Uh in high school, I thought, man, I kind of, uh, I liked arguing, debating. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, maybe I want to get involved with a conservative organization whenever I go to campus. And uh, so I got involved with Young Conservatives of Texas mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really changed my focus from national politics to state politics. I really learned a lot about servant leadership. I learned a lot about uh, 
the proper perspective on government. Yep. Um, and so my, my ideas and perspectives on those things changed dramatically uh, as I grew up a little bit. Um, and now it's more of a, a duty thing. I enjoy it greatly, but uh, sometimes it can be frustrating even, but it, it's a duty thing. It's, mm-hmm. I think we all have a duty uh, to be involved in one degree or another, uh, even if um, even if you don't make it a career, then, yep. you, then you have to do it not as part of the career. The cool thing for me is, okay, I get to check the box on doing my civic duty, yep. a- and I get to make a career out of it, which is really cool. When you were in college being a conservative activist sure. on, on college campus, at that point, even even early in that time, were you already planning on trying to make a legal career also a conservative legal career? Or Not was the plan at that point, I, I like being active, I want to be an activist, and I want to go to law school because I want to get paid to talk for a living, and I will go do that professionally. And I made the huge error uh, when I was younger, and I'll tell people now, young people, um, I thought, oh, man, okay, politics – and being involved in politics and being involved in that's really involved in the community is what that really means. Yep. Uh, doing those things, that's kind of a fun frivolity. That's a that's a hobby. It's a mm-hmm. side thing. Whenever you grow up, well, you've just got to go and you've got to get a real job, right? Yep. you got to go do something. And I had some people break me of that mindset really very late in my law school, time in law school. Uh, and I would try and break as many people of that. We don't have, if you're a conservative out there, uh, a Christian, uh, somebody who's principled, and you want to be involved as a leader in your community, we don't have enough principled people uh, to fill the jobs. I mean, uh, quite frankly, you know, obviously fundraising and everything else is always a challenge for candidates and organizations, but that part is doable. I think the harder part is finding high-quality personnel, and so uh, I would urge people, don't go off and do something that's going to be an unfulfilling job that isn't going to move the ball in society. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with just having a, a service job where you serve people in some kind of non-leadership way. Um, you can still then be a leader on the side. Nothing wrong yep. with that at all. Yep. But don't feel like you have to do that. I mean, I think yep. we're lacking uh, people in the, uh, you know, what you maybe call the political arena. Yep. We need people. So, uh, uh, no, I didn't think that I would be doing this. I've been very blessed that, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of people would agree with this. It's a Christian thing. It's like you look back on your plans you had for yourself, mm-hmm. and then you look at the plans God has for mm-hmm. you, and you go, man, his plan was way better yep. <laughs> yep. than the plan I had for myself. My <laughs> plans were – I was aiming way too low, yep. you know. Um, and so uh, that's always a fun thing whenever you get to step back and have that perspective. So when we had uh, Michael Sullivan on, one of the things that I talked to him about was the Texas Ethics Commission. And if I, um, Andrew, do you remember the uh, episode number that that was with Michael? We'll look that up so that I, uh, I remember what the episode number is because y'all can go back and listen to that one. But when we had Michael Sullivan on, we one of the things I talked to him about was his battle with the Ethics Commission. So, sure. so if any of our listeners have listened to that conversation, they have a little bit of the table already set for for our first case that we're going to take on. Um, and, and if you haven't, I'll, I'll 
you know, Tony, can you give everyone just the quick elevator version sure. of what the conflict is about? Sure, um, yes. And then get get me an update. So this is episode seven. Episode, so episode seven. seven. So we're on Michael. 14, and yep. so seven, seven episodes, seven weeks ago, seven. you talked to Michael. And and they yeah. that kind of set the table. Give us sure. the elevator version of what the conflict <laughs> is, but then quickly kind of give us an update on where that case is. What are the arguments being made? Where are we in the process? Sure. And what why should conservatives care about this case? So... Uh, the Texas Ethics Commission uh, would make George Orwell proud. Uh, it is Texas' most unethical agency, very unethical in what it does. Uh, they are speech regulators. So uh, people think, okay, how do we instill ethics in government? Okay, we've got to have a lot of reporting requirements and all of these kind of things, contribution. We don't have contribution limits here, but we've got all kind of restrictions and they think that's going to instill some kind of ethics in government, and it, it just doesn't work, A. Um, but it ends up that you, you end up regulating speech. Everything that they deal with, they regulate speech. They regulate hmm. uh, campaign speech. And, I mean, I'm talking individual activity out there where individuals spend $100 to you know, distribute flyers to their neighbors, put a billboard up, put a sign up in their yard. I mean, if you spend $100 on your own speech, you're under their regulating thumb. Hmm. Um, if you go into the Capitol and talk to your legislators yep. about things that you care about, well, that's petitioning governments, protection of the First Amendment, but they'd say, oh, well, you're you know, too much of that. And it doesn't really take too much, but too much of that, and suddenly you're a lobbyist, and you got to yep. pay a fee and pay a, a re file reports, and you know, comply uh, for that privilege as opposed to that right. So um, this is a body they meet in secret; uh, they very rarely move to the end of the process, and really they hand out uh, slaps on the wrist. Uh, the end of the penalties are, are not, you know, particularly burdensome. Sometimes you get as high as a ten thousand dollar fine. But lots of $500, $1,000 fines mm -hmm. for rinky-dink paperwork violations. It doesn't do anything, uh, but it does force little people out there who can't afford lawyers to feel like they have to hire lawyers, mm -hmm. um, have some political opponent file a complaint against someone because they don't like what they're doing in politics. Yep. Uh, and then you get dragged all the way down to Austin to some closed-door meeting. It can be very intimidating. Uh, and these folks have even said it. Uh, they said, you know, you should see these people who leave our meetings in tears promising, oh, well, I'm never going to be involved in the process again. That's their own words yep. about what happens yep. as a result of the commission. So uh, we got exposed to that. We got dragged into the process when uh, some legislators, some crooked legislators in the House, uh, filed complaints against Empower Texans and against Michael. Yep. And... Uh, you know, at one point, Tom Ramsey, who's one of the dumbest people I've ever dealt with, was one of the guys on the commission as a former Democrat state legislator, was sitting there, and he's like, well, I don't understand. He said it. I don't understand why they won't just pay us $500 to make it go away. Yep. And it's like, listen, guy, you know, we're fighting for a principle here. It's really important. And so we've been fighting it now for seven years, wow. uh, trying to say, hey, we're going to beat these people, and we're going to make sure that we make precedent that they can't go after people um, who are... Yeah, so so where are we now with that case? So uh, there were a couple of cases there. One of them was against Michael himself okay. about the question of whether he was an unregistered lobbyist back in 2010, 2011. That case is now in front of the Texas Supreme Court. 
still dealing with the procedural posture of the case. And basically, the Ethics Commission is arguing through their outside lawyers, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money on outside lawyers, mm-hmm. uh, to argue uh, the courts really shouldn't look at our decision. I mean, I know it says that we have to have a trial de novo, do the whole thing a do-over in court in the appeal, um, but uh, they don't really want anybody looking at that. They don't want any burden or challenge of having to prove a case like any other litigant. Hmm. And um, they're trying to slip the noose there, and we're trying to end that case and make them pay attorney's fees and sanctions and stuff to us. Uh, The other case, there were two basic kind of cases that were in that. The other one uh, was against Empower Texans itself. It said, oh, the organization has morphed into a pack. And uh, it's funny, the Austin Court of Appeals, midway through the case, said uh, that interpretation of law, if they followed that, would be an affront to the First Amendment. Um, the we made that you know brought that case to the ethics commission's attention. They said, "Hey, we're not here to read third quarter uh, opinions." So they didn't they didn't think that they were bound by the binding jurisdictional court over their head. This is the arrogance of these yep. people. Uh, we ended up winning that case, and we are now on the offense um, in our our case there. And I don't get into too many weeds on this. Yep. Our case there seeks to end the Texas Ethics Commission uh, on the grounds that they are a part of the legislative branch of government. Mm-hmm. They say they are part of the legislative branch. Uh, They're appointed by legislators. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were originally set up to do uh, the legislator's salary and per mm-hmm. diem. So, you know, people say, oh, we don't pay our legislators enough. The Ethics Commission are the ones who could recommend a salary increase to the yep. voters if they wanted to do that. They've never done it. Um, but they could. They set the per diem. Those are all legislative functions. Uh, but they have been assigned this executive enforcement power, go, going after people for speech violations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is unconstitutional. Yep. And uh, we're seeking uh, an answer from a court uh, who has the courage to say, yeah, that's really clear. It's a really clear argument. Um, but the the result of that argument, if you, okay, uh, they're unconstitutional, mm-hmm. okay, they have to be shut down. Yeah, and Texas has to find another way uh, to deal with its campaign finance regulation. Uh, find a constitutional way to yep. deal with its campaign finance regulation. Uh, and that's not we're to, asking the courts to do that. And it's not to say that their job setting legislators per diem or any of those other small things that they were originally given aren't un- is. I'm saying is that also an unconstitutional role? Or is it just saying that they're what they have tried to morph themselves into as speech regulators sure. is unconstitutional. Correct. Right? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the point is the the bulk of how they identify themselves is an unconstitutional identification. Yeah, they, maybe I'm not one, a lawyer, right? Yeah, so I'm one, not saying, one meeting every two years is on the salary and per diem yeah. stuff, and I don't have any problem with that. That's, that's pr- totally fine. The voters approved that back in 1991, I believe. Yep. But then immediately the Democrats in the legislature and Richards said, well, let's give this body that was set up to do that, which is a legislative function, let's give them executive enforcement powers over uh, speech regulations. Mm. Well, that's a really bad idea, and uh, it's unconstitutional. And so it would shut down the, the day-to-day activities that they yep. do. So uh, the other another lawsuit that you have been part of is a recent lawsuit filed um, kind of an equal access lawsuit, right? right. Regarding um, press credentials. Uh, The Texas scorecard has press credentials that have been issued by the Senate. 
right? Sure. So so y'all have uh, the Texas Scorecard, a conservative media outlet, has been granted um, press credentials by the Senate, but not the House. Is right. that, that correct? That's right. So, so kind of give me the overview. Yeah, so Empower Texans uh, publishes Texas Scorecard daily. You know, you can go to texasscorecard.com and get the articles that are going up there on a daily basis. Yep. Uh, we also do a print publication that goes out biweekly during session uh, and then monthly outside of session. So we're print and digital. Um, we're a media organization. Yep. Uh, we went and applied to uh, the Texas Senate and said, hey, we have some full-time reporters uh, that are uh, that are there, a capital correspondent, mm-hmm. capital bureau chief, who want to cover the things going on in the Senate, <clears throat> and they approve the application. And we've been over there reporting, no problems. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we applied on the House side, and uh, the guy who's in charge there, State Rep. Charlie Guerin, yep. uh, who's uh, doesn't like us, uh, has been very clear that he does not agree with our perspective and point of view. Yep. Um, he decided pretty much unilaterally, okay, well, I'm not going to allow you guys to have the equal access. And so the House gives access to all the fake news reporters, to the liberal uh, publications, uh, you know, something like Texas Observer, those kinds of things. But when a conservative organization comes along and says, okay, we've got reporters who meet the criteria, uh, well, then they, they're going to stonewall us. So um, we've been negotiating with them, trying to, to get to a point, trying to comply with their requests. And finally, you know, it's become extremely clear it's really just a, a stalling technique uh, to try and delay things to the end of session. So we have now filed suit in federal court, and we're seeking uh, an injunction uh, mandating them to issue those uh, credentials to our reporters. Uh, pretty simple. It's all about equal access. Uh, the House government generally can't discriminate between media organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw this actually. Uh, you know, uh, Jim Acosta got thrown out of the White House mm-hmm. press briefings because uh, Trump didn't like him. And uh, and I understand Trump doesn't like him. He, he ought to not like him, but he also can't throw him out of the press room. Yep. And so when that happened, uh, you immediately had a lawsuit. And they ended up, who won? Jim Acosta won, because you can't yeah. discriminate among, uh, amongst media people, even if you think one of them's a, uh, if you think they're a jackass and the other one's good, uh, that's whatever. Yeah. You, know, you can't, uh, you can't uh, discriminate between them. And then an example could be on the Texas Senate side, where a number of, uh, you know, reporters are reporters who are consistently critical of the lieutenant governor, consistently critical of the Texas Senate, consistently critical of the Republican caucus, and yet they are granted access to the Senate, and they can walk up and they can ask senators questions and do those things. So to that same extent, you know, Charlie Guerin does not have the ability to say, I don't like this person's opinion, or I think this person uh, disagrees with me on issues that I don't uh, care to continue to you know expose Texans to, so I'm going to use my authority to keep these people from having access yeah. to the floor, now, like other media the, organizations are given. Now the issue in the case, in you know the legal issue in the case, they'll come back and they'll say, well, no, the the question is, what is Empower Texans? Is it a media organization? Got it. What about their editorial policies? These kinds of things. Uh, but what the evidence will show is they don't really ask those questions of anybody else, right? They're, they're trying yep. to dig and find a reason yes. to deny an application, and they can't even find or articulate a reason. And frankly, that's something they have to do, too. Like, yes. you know, if you're going to deny an application, you've got to be clear as to why. 
And so uh, is there like a date set? How does this work on the federal side? I mean, uh, well, what's the timing of it? How does that look? So um, for those of you who are not lawyers, uh, you will be shocked at how slow the court system just works generally. Um, things can move fast, but they, they move fast in bursts, maybe. Yep. Um, things typically move slow. I just mentioned the case with Michael. Yep. Seven uh, years. Seven years <laughs> of back and forth on that. Uh, uh, we had another case that was another seven-year case that, that we won recently. Um, this one, uh, next steps is probably to seek uh, temporary relief, yep. uh, such as a, a temporary restraining order, yep. preliminary injunction. Um, that's something that could happen relatively quickly. Uh, but along the normal course of the case, they don't even have to answer until 60 days Got it. Uh, from when they were served. So we're still you know, maybe 45 days out from them even putting an answer on file. Yep. Are press credentials... Uh, something that only grants people access during the legislative session, or are they typically like an annual credential? I don't even know. Are they an annual credential given that people then have access to the Capitol for a year for interim hearings and other stuff? I sure. mean, what's the timeline of how well, these press credentials? I believe they're are issued? by the legislature, so by okay. biennium. Got it. Um, and they're most critical during the regular Correct. session when, Correct. whenever all the activities going on. And and the most clear thing is there's a little press table kind of off to the side of the yep. house floor yep. and some area there where where the reporters can get in close and mm -hmm. see what's going on and write about it and report on it yep. maybe ask some questions that kind of thing um that's really the only thing that that's really at stake there um the credentials have been used in other ways in the past so uh, the credentials have been used regarding access to uh, committee hearings, certain press conferences, uh, that kind of stuff. And that th those things can happen in the interim. And then obviously, if the governor were to call a special session, yep. well, then it would become critical there too. So uh, biggest piece is, is the regular the session. session. But, but, but my but point there is are some other pieces that because well. the credentials are not only granted for the legislative session, this case will be something to follow through the rest of the year, regardless of whether... Oh, yeah, barring, the, the, <clears throat> barring know, a settlement or something like that. Um, you know, I'm hoping that we can we can get everything done and on file uh, to get some temporary relief during the session. Yep. Uh, but then the the pendency of the case, the whole case, uh, if it's got to go to trial or something, wow. I mean, could be very late next year or yeah. something. Uh, uh, typically on those timetables. But hopefully we'll get some some kind of preliminary answer to the question yep. Uh, yep. for them. So you are. Um, also involved in a lawsuit. You're not the lawyer on this lawsuit, but uh, this is a, a suit against the Texas Bar, and I've seen a couple stories written about sure. it, things like that. So uh, I know there's limitations to what you can or can't say on this, but why don't you give us just an idea of what that lawsuit's about and why Texans should care about it? Yeah, a little little bit different. I'm, I'm a plaintiff on yeah. the case, so I've got my own set of attorneys. And, uh, you know, attorneys have to be careful about what they say yep. about cases uh, for publicity reasons. Clients have to be even more careful careful. Yes. Uh, so uh, I have to be a little bit cautious about what I'll say, but I'll give you kind of a thumbnail sketch. Uh, I have filed suit along with uh, Josh Hammer and Mark Pulliam. Yep. Um, so people may know those guys, a couple good uh, conservative, conservative lawyers. Uh, personalities and lawyers. Yep. Uh, we've sued the state bar and it's essentially, uh, I'd call it Janus for lawyers. Hmm. Uh, so those who maybe remember the Janus case that came down from the U S Supreme court where they said, uh, people can't be compelled 
to join a uh, labor union. Got it. Uh, that that's not allowed under the law. Uh, in the same way, lawyers are compelled to be part of the state bar, and the state bar doesn't just regulate lawyers; it also engages in uh, political and ideological, legislative advocacy, um, and some pretty left-leaning kind of stuff. Yeah, and so. Uh, that's an objective. Same, basically, kind yes. of similar. Same objection uh, to being forced into a union. We're being forced into this group that does uh, the same sorts of things, and so uh, we object to that, and yep. uh, we're bringing it forward. And there's uh, a bunch of cases like this, and in other states as well, uh, that are moving forward. So could be the kind of thing that might get to the U.S. Supreme Court or yep. Fifth Circuit or that yep. kind of thing. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we have a little bit of time. I think it's early May, uh, whenever the um, Bar has to answer the lawsuit Got and, and file their responses. So we should have some activity in early mid-May Got on it. that case. And that is a federal case as well, is that right? Also in the Western District of Texas, uh, the Austin Division. So uh, federal court here in here in Austin. Okay. So uh, my last thing is, I, I just I know you uh, follow more cases than I do because I don't really know how to follow cases. Um, so tell me another case out there that just either interests you on a personal level, it could be something you're involved in, not involved in, that conservatives might find interesting when it comes to, you know, the battles that are ensuing here in sure. the state. Yeah, you know, there was a really interesting case made huge law uh, last year, I believe. Uh, state of Texas, XREL Best v. Harper. Okay. Um, so uh, I really want to meet the guy, <laughs> the guy who's kind of the center <laughs> of the Maybe he's a listener to the podcast. He might be a listener. He's kind of, from our, as far as I can tell, he's got our kind of people, right? <laughs> so this guy, uh, Paul, Paul Harper, I believe, um, was campaigning against the local hospital district being created. And uh, he lost that fight. They created the hospital district. So he decides... <clears throat> all right, I'll run and campaign for the board of the hospital district on a platform that I'm going to set the tax rate at zero. Okay. Right? Okay, okay. great. Okay, yep. so he runs, he wins the seat on the board and, and votes, moves to set the tax rate at zero. He, he's, he's a promise keeper. He's fulfilling <laughs> his promises as, as a public official. The local officials who created the hospital board decide you know what, we're going to go on the attack. And so they try to remove him from the hospital board on the grounds that he, you know, setting the tax rate at zero is is uh, illegal because you have to fund it at something and, and that that's wrong. And so uh, they file this action against him. And his response is to file a motion under the what's called the Texas Citizens Participation Act. It's this great statute. Okay. It's undergoing some changes in the legislature right now. Uh, but it defends people like you and me uh, whenever we're the subject of a fraud, fraudulent lawsuit okay. uh, from somebody who's trying to use the legal system to bully us. Okay. Uh, we can file an a, a motion under the TCPA. And we can make them pay our attorney's fees and get sanctions out of them. And so the question became in this case, well, can you use that tool against these uh, local county attorney and these local officials mm -hmm. trying to you know, use this process to remove this good guy uh, from this hospital board? And it went all the way to the Texas Supreme Court. One of the most critical and biggest, most important decisions in years uh, from the Texas Supreme Court comes down and says, yes, you can use it. Um, 
government can be held accountable if, if government mm. actors use their power to sue somebody and abuse them and uh, they don't have a case uh, and that case gets thrown out, yeah, they can be made to pay attorney's fees and sanctions wow. uh, as to uh, the person that they targeted. Uh, and there's obviously tons of exceptions to that and everything else, but uh, it's a real cool story. Huh. Uh, it's something this guy won a battle that's uh, critical for us and for others. Um, we've been uh, relying on this case in some of our uh, litigation, uh, but it just goes to show this is one guy doing the right thing, standing yeah. up, fighting, fighting for years yep. uh, to win a battle. And uh, sometimes you really do, you know, take it to the top and, and win that battle. Hmm. So uh, you're in the middle of free speech battles. Uh, I know that that is kind of primarily, I don't know if it's primarily, but it has taken a lot of your time, sure. right? And it's yeah. become one of the chief battlefields. Are there other legal battlefields that you see um, on the conservative front? Are there other lawyers that you think people should be watching when it comes to their actions or participation across, you know, the different conservative spectrums? Well, I mean, uh, folks, I, one of my uh, mentors, Trey Trainer here okay. in Austin, yep. appointed by... Uh, uh, President Trump to the FEC. Yep. Uh, interesting guy. If you ever see Trey, uh, he's somebody to listen to and yep. respect. Uh, Joe Nixon does some stuff with us as well. He's a former legislator, yep. a conservative lawyer. Uh, really, there's not that many you know, conservative lawyers in this arena, and we have a need. Yep. Uh, what do I see happening? More of this free speech fight. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a battle we're winning, but you know, it's it's a we're winning the battles, but there's lots of battles. Yep. And I think the, the battles we lose are the ones where we don't fight. Yep. And the ones we don't fight is because we don't have the resources or the manpower. We don't have the attorneys, uh, yep. that sort of thing. So um, there's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of good fights to win where you win battles for the benefit of, of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of that going on. Um, Obviously, there's some gun rights fights and mm -hmm. those kind of things that go on, but it's the free speech fight. It really mm -hmm. is. The free speech fight is critical, mm. uh, and it's it's not going away. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you taking some time to go through some of these cases. I mean, I have learned stuff because these are cases that I have seen tweeted out and have read different stories on, but don't did not fully understand, or and uh, probably still don't, but, but much better understand now that sure. you've had some time to kind of pull the curtain back and reveal just each and every battle and why they're so important. Um, I think Texans are going to need to follow this. I would assume that in order to be up to date on, on these cases, they can subscribe to your podcast at Texas scorecard radio. They can subscribe to the scorecard, That's right. uh, Texas scorecard.com. And they can give their email there. They can put their address in if they want the paper mailed to them. If they That's want everything right. emailed to them, they can get those updates to know, on other issues as well, but specifically, if they want to know where these cases are, I'd assume there are going to be very few outlets actually covering this type of news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, TexasScorecard.com. It's got all of the resources there. It's the the way to subscribe. Uh, and uh, we got to have you come on the show. Absolutely. Uh, we'll have you on. You've been doing some cool stuff uh, in addition to this radio program. And so uh, we'll have to have you on as a guest. It's, if I'm going to guest be a guest here, you got to be a guest on my show. Well, I appreciate your time, Tony. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Um, oh, I, one thing I forgot to tell y'all is that the reason Raz isn't here, I think he had some uh, additional commitments and uh, so couldn't make this week. He, he, he will probably be joining us again next week. Um, sorry, Raz, I did, forgot to you know mention that at the start. I apologize if you're listening to this. I hope you're listening to this. Um, but uh, guys, 
that was a great conversation that I got to have with Tony. Um, I really was being uh, genuine when I told you that uh, I learned um, from that conversation because, you know, you see a lot of mentions and tweets and stories on these different legal battles, but really taking a step back and saying, okay, remind me the implications, uh, remind me the arguments we're making. And, um, you know, liberals do a much better job being actively involved in the um, court process than some conservatives. And we should be grateful that First Amendment attorneys like Tony McDonald are fighting on the front lines for us because um, these are your rights that they are defending. You know, when they take on these battles, he mentioned that um, Democrat Texas Ethics Commission board member who said, you know, why won't Michael just pay the $500 fine and get over get it over with? And the reality is that, yes, while m far more than $500 has been spent, um, the risk was worth the reward because the reward of winning this legal fight is that you as individual Texans can feel free to use your First Amendment rights to engage with your local and state governments, criticizing often the actions of different individuals within the government and not fear the bully tactics of the Texas Ethics Commission. Um, these are pretty important things. And when it comes to even the, the lawsuit with the state bar that Tony is now, I guess, a, a plaintiff in, um, you know, just the reality is that we have a state system that is set up that essentially requires these attorneys, if they want to practice law, to join this association that is then going to turn around and advance liberal causes. This is a lot like the union dues legislation that Republicans used to be in favor of in Texas, and then they got scared and have no longer pushed. But we pushed for quite some time union dues legislation that said that, um, you know, the government cannot be in the business of collecting union dues, right? Unions are separate organizations, and we have a lot of these state government unions that will go around and use government tax dollars to collect dues from federal, you know, federal and state government employees and then use that money to try to elect a bunch of Democrats. And so uh, Scott Walker was a champion on this issue when he passed um, reforms in Wisconsin. And we saw that the union due collection decreased significantly. Uh, when it comes to going into 2020, you would think that some Republican leaders have prior would prioritize this legislation to protect ourselves, but um, it doesn't seem to be a priority at this point. In fact, that legislation is not going to go anywhere this legislative session. So not only will we have the least pro-life session ever, not only will we have a spending spree um, like none other we've ever seen in the last several sessions, we'll also even take opportunities um, like union dues legislation and 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 forego those reforms. So um, yes, this is why conservatives continue to uh, be more and more frustrated and increasingly frustrated with the leadership in the Republican Party because uh, they fail to see the need to pass meaningful conservative legislation today. Um, guys, thank you for listening. If you have yet to subscribe, please do so. This just makes sure that our weekly podcast gets to you uh, and you get updated and reminded with it automatically. If you want to go to lukemacias.com, uh, you can uh, give us your email there and we will just email you the podcast every time it comes out. If you haven't reviewed it, you know, I run into people uh, quite often. I've ran into people at church, I run into people um, in the Capitol uh, as I go throughout the state. They say, hey, I'm listening to your podcast. I love the uh, content you're given. Um, but many of them still haven't taken just a couple minutes to, to review the show. So if you would just go in on, on whatever platform you're listening to it on, but we would uh, appreciate it on Apple Podcasts the most because it's the largest platform, just going on and writing a couple sentences about what you have gotten from this podcast and why you listen to it. We would appreciate uh, you doing that. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. God bless you. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.